This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 93 of the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Brightman, managing editor of On the Banks. And I first just wanted to start off and say thank you to all of you that have followed On the Banks through this last month, really. Quite a ride. Rutgers' first NCAA tournament appearance for men's basketball in 30 years. First NCAA tournament win in 38 years. The the interactions and, and what we built at the site and um, all the comments and you know, just uh, on social media. It's really been a fun ride to go through it with so many Rutgers fans and, and, and loyal readers and listeners of the podcast. So thank you so much for that. First, want to start off just touching on how the season ended, that game against Houston. And then I'm very happy to have Matt Agnoli, longtime Rutgers basketball recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, uh, to join us to really talk about the offseason and what's next for the program. It's been tough. I haven't been able to write too much about that game. I haven't been able to really uh, stomach what happened. Worst loss in Rutgers basketball history in my lifetime. I think that's what is so, you know, something we're all learning about uh, making the NCAA tournament is usually that loss is going to be your worst loss of the season, just in terms of ending it, getting as far as you did. But for Rutgers, obviously, we haven't had too many trips over the last four decades. But of course, in true Rutgers fashion, it had to end in heartbreaking uh, fashion. True uh, stomach punch loss. Rutgers led 58-49 just over four minutes ago. Houston ended the game on a 14-2 run to win 63-60. Lots to unpack here. I want to just touch on a few things. I'm a firm believer in the better team won. I think Houston was the better team. I think, you know, when you play playoff basketball, you know, when you're in the NCAA tournament, you know, you're not going to win if you don't prevent the other team from doing what they do best. And Houston, what they do best is they rebound and on the offensive glass, just crash the boards better than any team I honestly can remember in, in, in quite a while. They have, you know, the number two offensive rebounding rate in the country. They rebound almost 40% of their missed shots, which is really remarkable. They beat Rutgers on the offensive glass. They had 16 rebounds. Nine of their last 14 points in the game were on second-chance points off of offensive rebounds. That, to me, was not even a question. That was the difference. I know there was a lot of complaints about Rutgers taking the air out of the ball down the stretch. I think that... That's Rutgers basketball. You know, that's what Steve Peichel has done time and time again. You know, he's going to put the ball in Geo Baker's hands. I think we saw in the Minnesota game to, to basically clinch an NCAA tournament birth was the first time where Peichel deferred to he, – he went to Geo at the end of regulation, and then Jacob Young had such a hot hand that he gave him the ball to start overtime, and he had those three possessions in a row where he scored and then had two assists. You know, it shouldn't have been a surprise what Peichel did, and I think – Honestly, you can argue the base based on the way that Houston was playing down the stretch and rebounding, Rutgers could have lost by a much wider margin had Michael not slowed it down. You know, if and I look at it this way too: say Rutgers didn't slow it down, they take three or four three-point shots, they miss them all. You know, they could have lost closer to ten points, and everyone would have criticized the shot selection, you know, Rutgers taking threes with a lead. I just think that putting the ball in Baker's hands, and, and I believe Young did have a possession as well, 
it certainly didn't lose them the game. And that's the way that Rutgers has won many games under Pico the last two years. So for me, had no problem with that. I think if there's anything that you want to criticize potentially from a strategic standpoint, I think that as good as really the hero of the game was the Jean Giraud for uh, Houston. I mean, heroic effort willed them to victory, in my opinion, playing with that hip pointer. He was on the sidelines about nine, ten minutes to go. He saw them fall behind by that margin, that 10-point margin, you know, truly limped back on the court. And a real turning point of the game was Rutgers up eight. Miles Johnson misses the alley-oop from Baker, and Jarrell comes down and hits that three. And I think every Rutgers fan felt the momentum completely change. But my, my point is on the strategy, you know, the one thing you could point out is, you know, they didn't attack Jarrell on the defensive end. Obviously, he was banged up. He was guarding McConnell at the end of the game. I think you could you could wonder, thinking back, I think the way the game ended to me tells makes it very clear on we know Steve Peichel as a coach, what he does. And he's always been about defense and rebounding. You know, he had McConnell in there and set him up, Paul Mulcahy, because of that. You know, I think it's asking a lot to put the ball in McConnell's hands and, and attack Giroux. But I think... It's something that, you know, maybe they thought of and just dismissed. But I, I think from a strategic standpoint, that's one thing to think about. Taking the air out of the ball to me was a non-issue. It, it came down to rebounding. And I think you could argue that Rutgers one offensive rebound away. Uh, excuse me, one defensive rebound away. One less offensive rebound from Houston from winning this game. I think it was that close. You know, obviously it's, it's a heartbreaker. I, I'll never get over it. I don't think any Rutgers fan will, will get over it. I don't think the players will get over it. And for me, that was the most heartbreaking part was this group of players, what they've done for Rutgers, how they've gotten the program to where it was and is, you know, has been an unbelievable journey. And to see it in that way, you know, it, it was heartbreaking for them, I think, just to, to see them react the way they did and, and to be so close to the Sweet 16 would have been Rutgers' first Sweet 16 since 1979 would have been only the third in program history. So, you know, I know everybody also lamented on the path to the Final Four and, you know, how the bracket really blew up. Blew up. Syracuse was next potentially, or well, if Rutgers had won, it would have been Syracuse. Oregon State takes out Loyola, who took out Illinois. But I really don't look at it that way. Like I said, I think in the end, Rutgers lost that game because they weren't the better team. And I think Houston has shown now in the Final Four that they're a gutty team. You know, you're talking about a team that, uh, and I think this goes back to the Pikel's philosophy, and, and I really wanted to touch on this. Houston's a team that averaged 80 points a game that has won their last three games scoring in the 60s. And they're, they're, they're winning because they play incredible defense. And I think that you saw UCLA against Michigan. Michigan, you know, tremendous offensive team, very good defensive team as well. But UCLA held them to 49 points to upset them and get to the Final Four. So in my estimation, you know, defense really does, you know, I don't know if the old adage wins championships, but... It gets you pretty close. And I think we know Steve Peichel, five years now, defense is always going to be the priority for him. You know, this team didn't rebound nearly as well as we've seen them in the past. And I think at the end of the day, you know, teams that have weaknesses, they're going to catch up to them at the end. You know, Rutgers is only 245th nationally holding opponents to offensive rebounding rate. They were 13th. They finished sixth defensive efficiency in Big Ten play, but they were 13th. Uh, and holding Big Ten opponents in the offensive rebounding rate. So it was a problem all year. And in the end, it caught up to them. And I think that 
At the end of the day, Peichel is always going to focus on defense. I think now the question is, how does he restock the roster? We know Miles Johnson and Jacob Young have entered the portal. I think they're both moving on. I think there's now a question of, you know, obviously we're still waiting on Geo Baker's decision. You know, will anyone else on the roster potentially leave through the portal? You know, we're early on here. It's going to be April. You know, we'll be April 2nd when this airs. Uh, it's uh, the last night of March right now. So it's going to be a fascinating offseason. I think, you know, fans, uh, we, we've, we've heard, you know, a lot of nerves, a lot of concern. First of all, the portal right now is it's a different animal. It's a different world. You know, there's over 1,100 players. And as we record this, it is not a negative uh, review of the program for people to leave, even after such a winning season. And I think everyone leaves for different reasons. And we're seeing it, you know, every high major has two, three, four guys in the portal. So it's a new reality. I think the encouraging part, the hopeful part is Steve Peichel's touched on this in the past. He's talked about, he looks at the roster as a one, one year season, uh, a one year roster management. So I think he is as prepared as any coach is for this situation. I think he uh, has so much more to sell than he has, you know, two years ago was the last time he dipped into the portal and he got, you know, the best transfer that Rutgers has had maybe dating all the way back to 91 when we were 90, when they got uh, Keith Hughes and Earl Duncan from Syracuse. So in Jacob Young. So the fact that he was able to get a player like that, I think breeds confidence that he's going to be able to get the right fit and talented guys to come in here through the portal. You know, will he get one guy? Will he get two? We'll see. That's what Matt Agnoli is here to talk to us about. But I think just looking forward now, this is, this is Rutgers is a program, you know, the, 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 the core of the first wave of this rebuild of this program is now pretty much winding down you know we're still going to have some key players from last year for sure um but you know those seniors that were a part of this uh change with, with jacob young miles johnson are, are moving on now baker we'll see but uh this is the next phase of 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 the program for steve michael and really an opportunity for him to put his his true touches on it it's going to be fascinating to see just on the recruiting trail in general you know, how much opportunity he has. He's always recruited the top, you know, top guys in the state. He's been able to get a key guy each year uh, with Harper Jr., Mulcahy, and Cliff Omorui. You know, how much does he stay on the player development side, picking under-the-radar guys versus getting the blue-chip guys? I think it's going to be a mix. I think it's going to be a balance. But it's certainly going to be a fascinating offseason. And really the next two years – is going to going to really dictate what the next five years are for Rutgers basketball. Is this a program that is going to go to the NCAA tournament every year or every three out of four years, or are we going to look back on this moment and say what could have been with this team? And you know, is Rutgers going to be uh, every three or four year appearance in the NCAA tournament? I certainly don't think we're we're looking at a drought that we've dealt with, but this is this is really a crucial time in the Steve Peichel era. And I say crucial in the sense of the transition we're in, but I say it with full confidence that I think that this staff is well positioned, the stability within the program, the practice center they have to work with, one of the best home court advantages in college basketball, and now the success. They can't use that chip against them on the recruiting trail, uh, that Rutgers can't win, can't go to the NCAA tournament. Michael has proven that he can. So I think this offseason is, is going to be certainly nerve-wracking, but uh, as exciting as we've ever seen here at Rutgers. So with that, we'll get to our guest, Matt Agnoli, and talk recruiting. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Aaron Brightman. 
All right. It's my pleasure to now welcome in Matt Agnoli, longtime recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. He's been uh, covering Rutgers basketball recruiting for over a decade now. And uh, with the offseason upon us and off to a very brisk start, I wanted to get Matt's thoughts on a lot of things going on with Rutgers. So, Matt, welcome. Thank you for being here. And uh, how, how's it been for you this last week and a half since uh, the offseason has, uh, has begun? Well, first off, uh, thanks for having me on, Aaron. It's uh, you know an honor to be to be talking Rutgers basketball with you. You do a great job with on the banks, and you're a must must read for anybody old fan, new fan. I highly recommend them following your account. You know, you follow this really closely. I mean, I from from my view, the transfer portal that just the, the the animal that it is is even dramatically different from say two years ago obviously you have changes with the ncaa with you know the sit-out rule was going away it was a unique season with covid and essentially every team being in isolation for the past six to nine months i think that creates some you know a different dynamic as well and uh i, I guess you know we're, we're talking now the last night of march and we're approaching 1100 players in the transfer portal that's, you know, about a third of all college basketball scholarship players, Division One. What, what have you heard, seen, and, and, and what's your kind of assessment of the way things are right now so early on in the offseason and how rampant and crowded it's already uh, become? Yeah, it's pretty wild. You got over 1,100 transfers in the portal. I think at this time last year, it was something like maybe six to 700. I, I could be wrong, but it was definitely not at the number it is right now. Essentially, what you're seeing in college basketball you know, at the present time is it's unrestricted free agency. I think each kid is on a one-year scholarship. You're seeing kids in the portal who were possibly nudged out the door. And then you have kids looking for, you know, greener pastures, either transferring up from the mid-major to high-major level or to the low-major to the mid-major level. So it's not just one, there's not one reason why these kids are in the portal. It's each each kid is has a different story. And, you know, right now you have to adjust to the current landscape and, Rutgers has done a decent job in the past few years with adding transfers, finding the right fit for them. That's a great tie-in to what I wanted to to discuss with you is that, you know, I think that Paykel did a really amazing job getting key transfers into the program that, that made an impact well before Rutgers began winning. You know, obviously, C.J. Gettys early on, you know, even with Shaq Carter, you know, was a highly respected uh, Juco player. Played, didn't obviously become, you know, a star, but definitely was a, a key contributor. But, you know, then when you get a star like Jacob Young, you know, really came out of nowhere. Rutgers had six Big Ten wins over two years before Rutgers got Jacob Young. So my feeling is I, I think we're in a transition, too, as a fan base, to be honest with you, because, yes, you know, you have Miles Johnson and Jacob Young in the transfer portal. Really shouldn't be a surprise that Miles Johnson going to a grad, uh, you know engineering grad school, most likely Pac-12. Jacob Young, I think, will end up playing overseas somewhere. Geo Baker's still a question at this point, but this is where the transition from the first good team that Rutgers has had to now we're a program. And now Paykel is going to be able to kind of phase two, put his touches on this, uh, on Rutgers basketball. And I'm fascinated to see where he's going to go with this. I think that, you know, my point with Jacob Young is he was able to get a talent like him, a former four-star recruit from, you know, a, a high major like Texas before they won. What do you think the outlook is in terms of the mix of players that Rutgers could potentially be in on 
now with all the momentum, the best season in 38 years, first NCAA appearance and, and win in 38 years, uh, first appearance in 30 years, first one in 38. How do you see it in terms of the guys that are out there and the momentum that Rutgers has to work with? Well, I think they have more to sell now than they ever did when they got C.J. Geddes from uh, UNC Wilmington. You know, it was Peichel's first six months on the job. They had nothing to really show for, no practice facility, no Big Ten conference, Big Ten tournament win. It was just basically on faith alone. And that was an interesting commitment, too, because that happened at the end of the summer. No one really heard about C.J. Geddes' uh, transfer recruiting updates, you know, on Twitter at the time. He just kind of committed and, and, you know, the rest was history became a really big figure on Michael's early teams. And then the Jacob Young, too, was sort of all the similar theme. You know, Jacob Young, he transferred, he had the big Big 12 tournament, but then no one really heard about him. And then all of a sudden the news popped that he was visiting Rutgers and they got that done pretty quickly. And I think Rutgers would prefer that their recruiting goes under the radar They kind of like to work in stealth mode for fans who want to see Rutgers attached to about 12 transfers a day. You know, while that would be kind of fun to to follow from an entertainment standpoint, I think, you know, they like to keep things under wrap to their own benefit. But I mean, Jacob Young, if you're comparing all the transfers in the last couple of years, I think they got the most bang for their buck with him. I don't think you had a lot of high majors going after him, maybe. There wasn't a lot of reporting at the time of other schools, but I mean, they really hit a home run with Jacob Young. So I am very interested to see if they can kind of duplicate that success this year. Carl Hobbs is really like their go-to guy with the transfer portal. You remember a few years back, they went after the Martin Twins, lost out to Nevada. They went to a sweet 16 run with Musselman. So, I mean, they get involved with some really good players. Um, We're already starting to see some former Rutgers targets pop back up on the radar, and we can get into that. So I I have high hopes for them, but, you know, we just haven't seen that many targets yet, and there's still a lot of question marks, you know, regarding Geo Baker, if he returns. So a lot of questions. So, Matt, I think that's a great point about the way Rutgers recruits now. I think, you know, it was was certainly – something that I think Pykele adjusted to. And I think it was mistakes we've seen in the past with Fred Hill and even Mike Rice. You know, whenever Rutgers seemed to offer a top guy early on, Mm -hmm. you would always see, you know, the same schools, UConn, Seton Hall, offer literally like the next day. So I'm happy with their new approach. I guess my question is, how much of a challenge do you think? And again, like you said, you know, with Baker, we're not sure. But, you know, even so, it's likely that Rutgers is going to have you know, probably five, possibly more guys that have all started in the past. How much of a challenge does that make the transfer portal in terms of getting top guys when potentially there might not be an actual starting position available? Well, that's a great point because I think Rutgers, I remember, you know, your colleague, our friend Dave White had mentioned that um, this senior class was the first recruiting class that made it from their freshman to senior year without a coaching change. Mm-hmm. So it was Joe Baker, this is his fourth year. I mean, that was always one of the big things. People wanted to know why Rutgers couldn't um, build a, a program. And they were always changing coaches before kids could stick around. And I think what you're seeing now is you got Paul Mulcahy's, you know, going to be a junior next year, his third year. Geo Baker could return for his fifth year. You're seeing that consistency within the program. So, you know, I would not overlook the high school pool of talent and the juco pool of talent because you can find guys there who are just looking for reserve roles on a winning team in a power 
five conference. So I think a lot of people are, you know, chasing the transfer portal right now, but I would not let that distract fans. And even I would advise coaches not to pass on talented JUCOs, you know, while 25 of your, you know, competitors are chasing the same transfer. So I think we can also talk about some JUCO and high school kids as well. A transfer might just not be the best fit for your team at that moment, even though it's the in vogue thing to do. It's a great point. I think, um, you know, from my view of the transfer portal, I think it's almost it might not be as exciting, but you're seeing, I think, guys from from low to mid majors that are making that jump to the high major. I think that is potentially where Rutgers could get somebody simply because, you're, like you said, they were maybe more more likely embrace, you know, coming off the bench, uh, being in that eight man rotation versus someone from a high major already pretty much wanting a lock on, you know, having a starting role wherever they go. So, you know, you've seen it with Tyson Walker, who Rutgers we do know was in on Eastern, landed at Michigan State. You know, you're seeing guys that uh, forget the person's name, but from Southwest Missouri State today, signed with Kansas or committed to Kansas. Um, so I, th- I think you're going to see more of that. But uh, just touching on the portal, guys that Rutgers recruited in high school that are available, you know, who, who do you think out of that pool might be someone that they get back into the mix on this time around? Well, I think we were kind of fortunate with the timing of, uh, you know, recording the podcast tonight because a few hours earlier, Villanova small forward Cole Swider entered the transfer portal. He was a Rutgers target a couple of years back. He's from the New England area a Rhode Island native. He picked Villanova over Duke, Syracuse, and Xavier. I just saw that Syracuse offered him as a transfer. So, I mean, I think Cuse could be the team to beat. But if you're looking for a shooter, I mean, Cole shot 40% from three this year. He's from a winning program on the high school and AAU level. Of course, you know, coached under uh, Jay Wright. Um, I think he would be a really intriguing get, especially with Geo Baker. I think they seem to know each other. From the from you know the NEPSAC region competition days, so he he was someone that jumped out. I mean, he averaged five point seven points per game. Questions about his rebounding and defensive abilities at this level, but at least we know that Rutgers inquired about him. He may have been a Carl Hobbs target as well because that's his backyard. I'd like to get your thoughts on him as well because you know Rutgers obviously needs some shooting entering next season. Yeah, definitely. I, I think he would be. Certainly an intriguing target. I, uh, I I am a little skeptical, to be honest. I feel like Syracuse is probably, you know, going to be all over him. Speaking of Syracuse, I, I, I think Kadari Richmond is a guy mm-hmm. that Rutgers recruited in the past. I, I think he's probably unrealistic, too. He's amazing talent, but he's going to be able to go anywhere he wants. One guy that uh, Matt, I wanted to ask about who can shoot, but also is, has an intriguing makeup in terms of uh, Martise Mitchell, a guy that could be potentially a rim defender but also can can step out and, and shoot from three. So, you know, he was in Minnesota uh, one year, I believe, and uh, he, he entered the portal this week. You know, what, yeah. what do you think of a guy like that? And and how involved was Rutgers initially? And, and are there any connections there we should know about? Yeah, so he visited as a 2020 target. He took an official visit. He did the whole, you know, photo shoot post to Twitter and the Rutgers gear and everything with his mom. And, you know, he was a Big Ten priority. I know Iowa, Minnesota, and Rutgers were all heavily involved. He's from Chicago. So, I mean, I think, you know, he has an affinity for Big Ten basketball, just didn't really play that much. Scored nine points in 22 total minutes on the year in seven games. I remember uh, one of his coaches describing him as like a stretch five. Pretty shy kid. 
I just, you know, I don't know. I'd like to get your opinion on this too, is I kind of, Rutgers doesn't seem to go after players who turn them down in the previous recruiting cycle or two maybe like three years it's possible but like i just don't know if they go after the guy that kind of turned them down so soon and so that we're only one year removed they opted to go with dean raber from north carolina so i just i'm not sure about the fit there definitely an intriguing player i really like them coming out of high school he's like the fifth or sixth player to, to leave minnesota you know Obviously, they're all Richard Patino recruits, so I wouldn't be surprised if New Mexico maybe got involved with Martise. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I, I, I think, you know, last year, Rutgers didn't take any transfers, so it's been a couple years. I think it would be interesting to see if they readdress guys that they, they recruited hard in high school. Another guy, Ishmael Massoud, you know, that'll be interesting to see as well. He's a shooter. But uh, one guy that has no real connection that I wanted to ask you about is um, Elijah Olani. Have you heard anything on him? And, um, you know, I think he's an intriguing kind of guy that come in and, and play a role, but wouldn't necessarily, you know, expect it to go somewhere and be a, you know, a star per se. Committed to Stony Brook at a high school, Newark native, played with the New Jersey Roadrunners AAU. So he wasn't part of that big, you know, Nike, Adidas sort of AAU outfit. Ended up transferring up to Miami and, you know, did pretty well there. Miami, they're seeing a flood of transfers, but I like Onaye because he's from Newark. Maybe he's looking to play closer to home in his last season. He played with Yaboa, Akwasi Yaboa at Stony Brook. So maybe, uh, you know, he can kind of enlighten him on what to expect from Rutgers under Coach Peichel. Maybe Brandon Knight has a few ties there. So I think he's like a winning player. If he came here, accept the role. He's a good rebounding guard. He shot about 72% from the free throw line. I know some Rutgers fans, when I mentioned his name on our boards, that he's not a good shooter. He's only 6'5". But I mean, I don't think you could always look at the stats with certain players. I think he could fit Rutgers just in terms of, you know, what they're looking for. Rebound, defend, tough player. I, 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 I haven't seen any schools linked to him yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they uh, inquire. Last question on Portal, guys. Just uh, two guys that have been linked to Rutgers, or one specifically, John Harar with Penn State, led the Big Ten in offensive rebounding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he'd be a really good fit. Uh, although, again, I think the question is, how does Rutgers sell him in terms of, you have Cliff Murray, obviously, you know, uh, would there be, I, I, what I like about him is I think it gives Ross um, lineup flexibility. You can play him at the four next to Cliff. He can move Ron to the three. But, It'd be interesting to see. And then also another guy they've been, I think, softly linked to, Aaron Wheeler. Mm -hmm. You know, any thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, John Harar, that would be um, something to see a Penn State basketball player transfer to Rutgers. I don't know how uh, the football first fans would uh, take to that. That would be an interesting uh, dynamic. But, yeah, top offensive rebounder in the Big Ten. You know, Steve Peichel likes him. He's probably had him circled, uh, you know, since the, the day he entered the portal. Pennsylvania kid. Played for the Philly Pride AAU. Rutgers recruited a player from that program in 2021, Zach Hicks of Camden Catholic. He committed to Temple. I mean, I could see Harar end up at a uh, Big Five school or, you know, within the Big Ten. You know, that's we saw that uh, the other day with Jamari Wheeler committed to Ohio State after, you know, transferring out of Penn State. So, yeah, I, I, I just there's news has been hard to come by with Harar. He's got Stanford, Xavier, NC State, Michigan State after him. We're just going to have to play the waiting game there. 
a lot of things to think about with potential guys. I think that the hardest part is going to be the waiting game. Uh, I think, you know, all, all these players entered the portal. I think that's another part of the strategy is that, you know, Rutgers is in a good position where I think they can wait it out a little bit. They don't need to, you know, jump the gun and, and jump at the first guy they think maybe could help. I think letting things develop a little bit, you know, and, and then you have other teams that fill up quicker and then Rutgers almost could be in a position where, and I've seen Pike do this, uh, you know, with high school, it, is he almost is in in a good position because he's has a spot available where there's not a lot left for certain guys. So moving on to Juco guys, um, a guy that's been really heavily linked to Rutgers. That's a shooter, Josh Baker. You know, a guy from Arizona. What, what do you know about him? What do you think about him as a potential guy? And 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 what other interest is he drawing? Yeah, so Josh Baker plays for Hutchinson Community College in Kansas powerhouse juco program deshaun freeman's school uh obviously deshaun freeman a big player under both coaching staffs under eddie jordan and first year with steve peichel they've recruited other players there before but freeman's the only one who signed on the dotted line i like baker he's a good three-point shooter i've heard him listed anywhere from six two to six four i think hutchinson lists him at six two he missed about nine games this year and now he's coming off the bench Eastern Tennessee State offered him recently, Murray State. So the really premier mid-major programs are getting involved. I'm not sure if the high major programs have cooled on him, but he was receiving interest from Arizona, Rutgers, Seton Hall this past summer. I would like to mention a JUCO target that they haven't offered yet who is hearing from Rutgers, and that's uh, Terry Roberts. And he's playing at Florida Southwestern College. And he's having a tremendous season. He's from Amityville, New York. And I believe he just broke the steals record at the school. And this is the same school that sent Keon Ellis to Alabama this past year. And I think he's really flying under the radar at the moment. He's averaging 15.4 points per game, shooting 44% from the field, 82% from the line, adding 4.6 rebounds and 5.6 assists. So, I mean, he had 35 points in a recent game. The team's 16-2 and and they're 13th in the country. I'm very interested to see if Rutgers pulls the trigger on him. Maybe they're waiting to see, you know, what Geo Baker decides. But his current offer list is St. Bonaventure, South Florida, Bradley, Florida Gulf Coast. So those are the two JUCOs, I think, involved with so i think you bring up an interesting point in terms of and i want to transition to high school targets as well is mm-hmm. this is also a, it, with everything else that's gone on with it the climate for transfers with it with the sit-out rule gone with it you know the pandemic you know teams have not been able to recruit nearly as much as they have in the past they able to been out on the road how do you think that that's going to affect you know offer lists for players and you know is that almost an advantage for I, I've just always been impressed with the coaching staff in terms of their preparation uh, with recruiting um, I always feel like they have plan B C D and E for you know the, the certain position needs that they have what are you seeing out there in terms of guys that maybe have a skill set or, or a, a background that in the past would have deeper offer lists than, than maybe they have. And, and kind of segueing into how you're looking at, you know, the 2022 recruiting class and, and guys that Rutgers maybe, you know, are they focused more locally because they, they, they know that, that um, or is there still an opportunity for them to go out and grab someone, you know, from the outside? Yeah, I mean, you you bring up a good point there. You know, there was no live period. You're not allowed to go out to, you know, live games. Right around this time, you would have the JUCO playoffs in Hutchinson. I don't believe coaches are going to be out there traveling to that 
um, event. I remember they were after Devontae Bandu from Hutchinson. He went on to play for Baylor, and they kind of watched him at the at the play, the JUCO playoffs there. So, I mean, it does present a dilemma. You know, do you trust your eyes watching tape, or do you want to see this player in person? I think a lot of JUCO kids in particular are hurt by the transfer portal as it is. So not having coaches allowed at your games, you know, that's just another negative when trying to get, you know, colleges to, to you know, pull the tr- trigger and offer you. As far as like 2022 targets, I think they like to lock in on one guy per year from New Jersey and then just kind of show him all the love and it worked out with Cliff Amorier in 2020, Paul Mulcahy in 2019, and, you know, Ron Harper was sort of like a late bloomer that they, you know, that they stole from the rest of the competition. So I would say Mark Armstrong is the guy that we're all waiting for in 2022, St. Peter's Prep slash New York Lightning kid. Um, I think it could be a battle between Rutgers and Villanova. I mean, I think the fate of Rutgers recruiting sort of like hinges on Mark Armstrong as he could be like the prized 22 player 2022 player for them so we'll see he's a national recruit i think villanova right. is heavily involved with him and i think he's a pretty i think he's pretty high on villanova but villanova is also you know battling duke right now for trevor keels a 2021 recruit and unless keels is a one and done player you know i just don't know if there's enough balls to go around in villanova at villanova to also persuade armstrong to go there Plus, Rutgers has an, another New York Lightning kid in Cliff Amorier. You know, they're coming off back-to-back tournaments. That's what I like to believe. Obviously, just, you know, the one technically. But, you know, they have a lot to sell right now. And I think Cliff's going to be here for another three years. So that could be a, a potential selling point for Armstrong. One of the top-rated players in the country, I believe uh, 24-7 Sports has him 11th nationally. Uh, at a Gil St. Bernard, McKenzie... McBacco, what do you know about him? And, uh, you know, could he be kind of that program changer for Rutgers that, you know, a local kid that's, you know, going to have offers from everybody and and, uh, a five-star recruit? I got to say, I don't know too much about their chances with 2023. I know he was offered by Rutgers first. He's got the Gil St. Bernard's link. Obviously, Paul Mulcahy's uh, high school. He's got links to some of the same... uh, summer league teams. I just think he's going to be a national recruit. I know Duke's already been rumored, Kentucky, all the blue bloods. So he's just a guy, the monitor. Maybe he he buys what Rutgers is selling. You know, early on, you'll see Rutgers offer like top 20 kids and then slowly it kind of fades away. I'm not sure if McKenzie's a guy that will will consider Rutgers long term, but he's definitely at the top of their list locally. He's, you know, probably the number one recruit in the state. I think they also like uh, Spencer Joyner. He plays for Arts in Newark, and uh, he's playing on a new Nike-sponsored team during the summer. I think he's a potential uh, top target as well in that class. So last question about players as we uh, start to wind down here. A little bit of news uh, last few days. 2024, so we're talking about a a freshman uh, in high school, Ron Harper Jr.'s brother at Don Bosco got his first offer from Rutgers. Uh, what do you know about him? Uh, and I believe he picked up a second offer recently as well. Yeah, he just got offered by Georgetown a few days, maybe a few, maybe a week after Rutgers offered. So obviously, he's more recognized as a recruit than his older brother, who you know didn't pick up a Rutgers offer until 
the summer of his before his senior season. So I like Dylan, man. I, I've been seeing highlights of him. He's a lefty. You know, you could see that he's got room to grow. He starts on Don, a, a good Don Bosco team as a freshman. I'm just really, you know, obviously he likes Rutgers. He's been around the program um, a lot these past few years. So, I mean, if there's any local kid that's highly rated that Rutgers is going to have a chance to get in the future, I mean, you would you would think Dylan Harper would be um, a top solicit. Unfortunately, it's a few res- uh, recruiting cycles away, but uh, he's definitely going to be um, someone to watch in the future. Good-looking player, though. Good-looking player. I love the lefties, too. So we'll see if they could strike... Uh, strike two Harpers in a few years there. So, Well, Matt Agnoli, 24-7 sports, Rutgers basketball recruiting analyst. Thank you so much for your time. Really covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. I'm sure we'll have you back this summer as things start to develop even more and 2022 recruiting class really gets going. So thank you so much for your time and uh, really, really appreciate it. It was great uh, talking to you, Aaron, and uh, hope to do it again sometime. Thanks again to Matt, Matt Agnoli, for joining us tonight to talk about Rutgers recruiting. In my mind, someone that I've followed and, and picked the brain of for, for many years now really has a bead on, on the Rutgers recruiting scene. I think, you know, the transfer portal is such a unpredictable situation right now, you know, in terms of, of needs for Rutgers, I think, you know, that's still a work in progress as well. But, you know, just to, to lastly touch on the end of the season, I think one thing that Steve Peichel has always been searching for and is going to be interesting to see what we have with the roster next season is having a true point guard. You know, I think that that was something that, again, at the end, Houston had a true point guard in Dejan Giroux that led that team to victory. And Rutgers really didn't have that. As great as Geo Baker has been, he's not a true point guard. So I think we look to next season, you know, Jalen Miller comes in, three-star prospect, didn't have a lot of high major offers. However, I truly believe he is the, the most natural point guard that Steve Peichel has had and will have on the roster. So I think he's really intriguing for next season and beyond on this roster. I think Paul Mulcahy, does he transition more into the point guard role next season? Is it Mulcahy and Miller? Or does Rutgers look to add somebody this year? It's going to be really a storyline to look for. And then I think, you know, true rem defender, low post presence to replace Miles Johnson. I hate to bring it up, but Rutgers hasn't had a true low post score, in my opinion, since Eugene Omarui. And I think that's that's a big need as well. So lots of questions this offseason. No answers yet, but I think that that what makes this period now uh, so exciting. Stick with us at On The Banks. Check us out uh, daily and on Twitter, OTB underscore SB Nation. Thanks again for listening. Excited for the offseason ahead. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.